Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Anfield Index Pro Plus with myself and with my pal Dave Hendrick. We're a bit excited about a certain event that's coming up, so we thought we'd have a bit of a chat about it and put it out in the form of a podcast, seeing as I'm sure if you're like us, uh, it's pretty much the only thought in the foreground of your mind all the time. Uh, and we thought maybe our ramblings about it might be something that would divert you and keep you from getting the old deli belly in advance. Uh, and speaking of that, Dave, I mean, I'm not a fella who does nerves before games, I'll be honest. I mean, sometimes I feel a bit uneasy or I get a bad feeling that no, I'm not sure how this is going to go. But this crew have been so good for so long that... I'm always sort of quietly confident going into matches, and even though the enormity of this one is 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 quite pronounced in my head, I, like this is one of those, like I, I won't I won't lie to you, I'll be fucking destroyed if we don't win it because I want this season to be really special. Mm. Um, I, you know, in in a really selfish way, I want it to be really special. I want to be able to just turn around to all those Crow and City types and 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 just have both fingers aloft. But at the same time, you know, I just I can't find it within my heart to be. I've seen people all over the internet today going, oh, my arse is gone, you know, that's it, I'm, I can't even think straight, blah, blah, blah. I just, maybe I've too much faith in these boys, but I think it's going to go okay, and as a result, I'm not in bits. I'm talking for myself. How are you doing with it? It's a weird one, Trev. I'm actually more confident for this final than I was in 05, in 07, in 18, or 19. But at the same time, I'm I'm quite nervous, but I think I'm nervous because I'm confident. I know that sounds weird, but no, again, there's so much more enormity. Yeah, there's so much more enormity. The the expectation is so much higher that you it'll be that much worse if we don't achieve. I get what you're saying. I think that's the only that's the only negative I have about it is it's built up so much in my head now that I I don't want to consider a world in which we're not European champions. If you know what I mean? No, exactly. And 
you know, I know people might find it strange that I'm more confident for a final against Real than I was for a confident for for a final against Spurs, but we hadn't won a final when we played Spurs. You know, we'd lost in 18, we'd lost the Europa League final in 16, we'd lost the League Cup final that year, we lost the FA Cup final under Kenny, we made tough, tough work at the League Cup final under Kenny. You know, we'd sort of fallen out of the habit of winning stuff. And that's it was also the fact that they're an English club and they had been... We remember watching them cause us problems a couple of times, now largely down to Dejan the Pebble Lovren, but there was just something about that final that made me uneasy. The Salah penalty obviously helped with it being so early, but with this one, like this is the first final where we're coming in as very clearly the better team. You know, in 18-19, we did finish well above Spurs in the league, but for... Three or four seasons before that, they'd been better than us in the league. Yeah. So this time, I, I, you know, I do feel like we are quite a bit better than Real Madrid. And that sounds mental to say, considering some of the names they have in their team. But look at the names we have in our team. And, the, you know, we're better in attack than them. We're better in defense than them. I think we're better in midfield. They've got better midfield depth. But we've got better defensive depth. We've got better attacking depth. I take our goalkeeper over theirs. I think we often talk about, you know, Liverpool players. There's a few articles out this week about how they they didn't have the straightforward path to the top. But the other thing is, these lads, most of them know what it's like to lose a big final. You know, like Trent, Virgil, Robbo, Henderson, um, Milner the front three, the old front three, Mo, Bobby and Manny, they all remember what it was like the morning they woke up in Kiev having lost the Champions League final the night before. Yeah. These Real players don't know what that's like. They don't have that. They haven't had to get through that yet. So I don't think our lads will want that ever again. And I think it's also why, you know, we've seen our lads go into games this season, like in cup finals. And, be able to grind their way through, even when they're not playing brilliantly, even when things aren't going to plan. They're just, they're so hard to beat. We're so hard to break down. We've lost three games in all competitions this season. They've lost four just in this one. They've lost three in the last three rounds of this competition. That's good context. And, you know, we've had many meltdowns, you and I, on various episodes of Raw where we've had two goal leads that we've coughed up and ended up in draws and, and that kind of nonsense. And that's as bad as it's gotten for us, really, if we're being perfectly honest this season. The couple of games we lost, I don't know, you kind of have to shrug at them, really. And um, uh, the, the, the statistics that this team has racked up over the course of the season are bananas. And I look forward to getting into all the details of this specific game. We'll do it by way of the various narratives that are building. Uh, around the fight, uh, this this particular match itself, but it might be again speaking of context, no harm to look back over 
let's say the most recent Champions League finals, at least. I mean, obviously, if we were to delve a bit further um, into my very young childhood and 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 the days before, um, you know, you were uh, articulating too much uh, by way of of sentences or even uh, uh, existence. Uh, we were a dominant force in Europe, but you know, we, as we've discovered, the the football only began when the Premier League started, and for some yes. dopes, for some dopes. Uh, European football only began when the Champions League started. And if we look back at those four finals that you mentioned, 05, 07, 18, and 19, we have a, we have a beautiful mixture of, 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 of joy and sadness, but a really interesting sort of balance in terms of all of those games and how they went. Now, it's not to necessarily relive them all, but just... It, I think it might give us a bit of context. Obviously, the, to, the two more recent ones, as you quite rightly say, are the ones that will have the biggest bearing because there's quite a lot of personnel who are going to be carrying on through um, and, and, and taking part in this one. And by the way, can we just stop maybe for a second and just just understand the fucking enormity of this, um, you know, the, the, the participation of this team in yet another Champions League final? But... Just to look back at the most recent ones, I mean, 05 and 07, you and I are, 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 are at the height of our, our Liverpool obsessions. And, and mm. these are these are incredible, incredible games, both of them. Um, 07 was incredible for me because I felt in a weird way we were actually the better team. And I wasn't half as intimidated as I was the first time around. I felt like, Christ, we could actually do this. And things were building nicely under Rafa. And who knows what's going to happen. It wasn't to be. The one before is obviously um, referred to as the miracle of Istanbul for a reason. There, A lot of people look back on that and think, it's, that's actually just mental. Uh, you've seen all the, the compilations over recent days, um, especially going around the 25th, which is obviously Istanbul Day. Uh, and, you know, we were dead and buried. The club was dead and buried. And it is it is an absolutely monumental achievement. 18, you touched on there as well. A massive, massive disappointment. The whole game turned into just a morass of gloom. Once small was gone off, everything seemed to be going against us. But like you, I had a dark enough sort of feeling leading into that one. And then the Tottenham one, which we won in 2019, uh, again, I think the angst I had around that was, please don't let us lose to a fucking English club, especially not Spurs. So there was a lot of tension in those last two as well. There's not a huge, obviously the, 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 the big takeaways are we have won two Champions Leagues out of four. Uh, yeah. but the, 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 the easy thing to lean into there as well that we, is that we've lost two. And, and as you mentioned, we'd lost a lot of finals under Klopp or Klopp himself had lost a lot of finals in a row. But do you think, man, it's as simple as, we might have actually cracked it now in terms of, um, you know, when the you know when the, the 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 seal breaks on something and the flow begins, and I just think perhaps that's the form we're in now. In the context of those previous four, do you view this one any differently, or what's your memories or your takeaways from those four, and how do they inform how you're feeling about tomorrow? So, the o four o five season, that was I was going to games regularly. And that season, I was at every Champions League game except the final. So I couldn't get a ticket. I didn't want to go to Istanbul without a ticket because, you know, I just didn't want to be there if I couldn't go to the game. 
because I knew if we lost and I didn't get to go to the game, I'd be just, I, I might never have come home. So we didn't expect to get there. We weren't a good team. We finished fifth in the Premier League. Benitez was trying to implement his way of playing after the, the Julia era. And it was a complete shock. I mean, remember, we lost to Grasser in the in in the second leg of the playoff. Um, we lost to Olympiacos in the group stage. We lost to Monaco in the group stage. We were dragging ourselves along. We needed that late, late, late Gerard goal against Olympiacos just to make the knockout stages. And once we got there, it was like, right, let's just enjoy however far this goes. We, we're not going to win this competition. We're not good enough to win it. Let's just enjoy it. We beat Leverkusen, and then we draw Juventus, and that's the Capello-Juventus. And they're monstrous, and they're dominating in, in, in Italy that season. And we beat them. I, I still to this day don't know how, but we beat them. And then that, we get Chelsea. No, they, were two, they were two great nights. And just, I, I'm going to come oh, across yeah. here. They were two incredible nights. And, and, and one of which, the one where Sammy scored the winner at uh, Anfield, I was lucky enough to be at that. And it, it's something you said there really struck me. Uh, you remember the Julia run in the Champions League where we'd done the travel. I think it was the following year. Then we 10 were look- great games from greatness. 10 games from fucking greatness. And we were looking like we were an outside bet for the, for the Premier League title as well. And we got done by ironically Leverkusen with yeah. the Michael, Michael Ballack era. Now, I don't know how you were feeling at that time on that run, but I actually felt far more confident probably because we were on the back of winning trophies, ironically. Right. And I thought this team is absolutely tremendous. And I think we have a great chance of winning the Champions League. And then you go to Leverkusen and it was a real flattener. I won't lie to you. And there was the potential of the semi-final against United, which some people are getting out their knickers in a twist about before we even got past the quarter. But you're right. This is an adventure. This is a, you know, boys' own rollicking adventure. And as you say, we paused it there on the Juventus. That's mental to go past yeah. them. That's mental. Yeah, we were right to beat them. They were flat out a better team than us. And we beat them. And that's when you started to feel like, geez, maybe we can make the final here. You were still looking at it and thinking, we're going to have to get through Chelsea. And they're running away with the Premier League. I think they won the league with like six or seven games to spare that year. They just ran away with it. It was was a a one-sided ass-kicking waiting to happen. So we go to the bridge. And... How we got out of there with a nil-nil, I don't know. Lampard misses that sitter. Lampard shouts goal as the ball leaves his boot and it sails over the bar. <laughs> Absolute bumper. <laughs> so we bring them back to Anfield and it's the ghost goal. It's the Louis Garcia goal, which has wound Chelsea fans up ever since. But as I like to remind my Chelsea friends, if the goal isn't given, Peter Cech's getting sent off and it's a penalty. Yeah, exactly that. And you're playing 85 minutes with 10 men and we have a penalty. Yeah. So pick your poison here. They still had, including at a time, they still had 90 minutes to come back at us in that game. And by fuck did they come at us in that game? They, how again, how they didn't score. It It was almost like there was just some sort of force field around our goal. 
Did you lose? A, did you did you lose a chunk of your soul with that good Janssen effort? Because I know I did. I, I've never. I lost a chunk of my hair <laughs> when the Garcia goal got given. Um, some fella next to me, I didn't know him, got sort of. He was stood. He was stood in the aisle on the steps, and I was stood in the outside seat of a row, and he got pushed forward in the surge when the goal went in. And he put yeah. his arm out to grab anything, and he grabbed the top of my head, and he pulled out a chunk of hair. Um, <laughs> but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. He spent the rest of the game apologizing to me while getting progressively more drunk, and his apologies <laughs> became soppier. And it didn't matter. But yeah, when the when the good good Johnson shot, I I because I was on. We were to the other side of the goal. Obviously, it went right to left. We were yeah. stood. Kind of as you look at the cop, we were to the right of the goal, and it looked like it was going in from where we were, and you could almost feel the air go out of the ground. And when it went wide, this surge of emotion—it was like we'd scored again. Yeah. Because we were all convinced it was going in. Yeah. And somehow we get by them, and it's it's AC Milan, and it's it's Maldini and Cafu and Sam and Nesta. And it's that midfield. It's the best midfield maybe ever of Seydorf and Pirlo and Kaka and Gattuso. And then it's Shevchenko and it's Crespo. And you're looking at this thinking, almost all of these are world class. Like the goalkeeper's not. He's good, but not not world class. And Gattuso's probably a a level below world class because he's just a bit of a ratter, really. And you're like, the only player we can really make a real argument for this world class is obviously Stevie. Xabi's not quite there yet. Sammy maybe as well. But like, like who else is starting? And obviously in the days leading up to it, there was a lot of rumours about, you know, about Kuehl because of the fitness. Uh, is he going to start? Who's starting up front? Is it Barros? Is it is it Cissé? Um, who's starting at left back? Will it be Jimmy or will it be Risa? If it's Jimmy, does that mean Risa's left wing, which is what it turned out to be? And then I, the, the night of the game, I watched it in my cousin's house. It was me, my cousin, and my best mate. And I remember seeing the team and just thinking, we haven't got a fucking hope here. <laughs> like, we're going to get battered in this game. Which we did. Which we did. Which, and that's the thing. It looked, like, it looked like some sort of fucked up PlayStation scenario. Yeah. If, you, if you go and fl- flick on your PS4 or 5 there now and decide to put together a team, you could not put together a team with more awesome talent than AC Milan. And meanwhile, as you said, we're there flipping Reese up into midfield and going with Jimmy Traore at left back. And we were absolutely catastrophically demolished in that first half. It's, it, was, it was pure Rocky movie shit, wasn't it? You know? Oh, it was. I, something I used to do is I used to... I used to try and watch games without the goals. Do you know? Yes. I I yeah. edit out the goals and then I'd watch the. I get. I download the game. I'd edit out the goals and I'd watch the game just to get a feel for, you know, what the game actually. If you do that with that game, that is the single most one-sided Champions League final, <laughs> European Cup final ever, ever. There's there's 94 minutes of normal time, 32 minutes of extra time. So you're looking at 126 minutes. We were good, and I good for six minutes, and they battered us for the rest of it. Like this, <laughs> Ethan Carragher has said it. If you look at that final without that six minutes, Milan played about as perfectly as you could possibly play. 
they destroyed us. But for six minutes, we tore them apart. And in some weird fucked up way, that's all we actually needed. And when it got to penalties, Trev, I knew we were winning. Because they really? were demoralised. Because they were looking at us. Like, I don't know if you watched The Walking Dead, but like, can you imagine putting <laughs> yourself in a situation with a bunch of zombies where you've killed them and, and they're getting up <laughs> and they're just coming at you again and you're like, you could yeah. see it in their players. None of them look confident walking up. Even like, like Pirlo, who we saw take that great penalty against England years later. Shevchenko was the best striker in the world. He looked like he was shitting himself. Our lads kind of strolled up and it was like, ah, yeah, sure, like, we just have to take penalties now. Like, so we've done our part. It was almost yeah. like, do you remember when Ireland used to rock up to play England in football? And, like, we knew we weren't as good as them, but fuck it, we were going to give it a go. It was kind yeah. of like that. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And even, 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 the, even Jabby's clincher, uh, yeah. it's like, he's the one you, you would have put money on. Yeah. But his isn't his isn't great, and it needs the rebound. And you know, even scoring a rebound from a penalty is so rare. Even, you know, especially so, the, on his left foot with with defenders yeah. closing in. Like, yeah, like just, I remember when when the the third goal went in. I remember just saying to my cousin, "Turn this off. This is shit. Turn yeah. this off. We'll find out tomorrow how much they beat us by." And I went outside for smoke and came back in, and I was like, "Gosh, oh, sure, we might as well keep watching this." And we were just sat there, the three saddest looking fellas you can ever imagine. Having, <laughs> I, I'd say we demolished about a bottle and a half of whiskey in the first half. And we near demolished the room in the second half. We were that excited. Like, <laughs> the first, Gerard scores the header. The Risa cross gets blocked, goes back to Risa. He crosses. Gerard scores. Right. Now, now I missed that, Dave, because I was in a dark place going, I actually can't watch this. It's not fair to me as a person. Yes. So I, I just said, fuck this. And then next thing I heard it, I get, I get, what happened was my missus was on the phone to her mom and she said, did Trev see that? And I went, what? 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 Because I get this shouting from downstairs. You, you scored, you scored. I turned it back on and then I'm in. I'm back in for the six minutes of magic, <laughs> you know? That's the thing. Like, and all of the goals are mad in their own way because if Reese's cross doesn't get blocked the second time, Gerard might not win the header. If it's the first cross in, Gerard might not win the header. The yeah. the Schmitzer goal, like every Liverpool fan in the world, he can't hear ninety nine percent of it, but we're all screaming at him, shoot! And then we're realizing, yeah. oh, it's Vladdy Schmitzer, don't let him shoot! <laughs> and he shoots, and Barros kind of runs across the shot and it goes behind them and it goes in. And then Gerard's driving into the box and Gattuso clips his heels. And you're like, he, he's... I, I remember we were just screaming for a red card. Yeah, We didn't that's care. All, we were that's like, all you want. Yeah. Don't even want the penalty. Get him off. Send him off. We'll get back into this if he's off. Forgetting that we were getting a penalty. And then, like you say, Alonso steps up. Dida makes a great save. And he somehow finishes it on his left foot. And it's just pandemonium. And you're like, we're going to win this. And then almost immediately, Milan are like, no, you're not. And they just start to batter us again. <laughs> and they're bringing on lads left, right and centre. It seemed like they made about six subs. There's lads coming yeah. on here, there and everywhere. And Gerard at this point, is playing everywhere. He's right back. He's left back. He's up front. 
He's in midfield. He's next to Carragher. Oh, there he is over there. There he is. It's like, where's Wally? He's just popping up here, there, everywhere. Putting out fires all over the place. I can only imagine how tired he was after that game. Because you were tired watching him. Yeah. you know? He actually came across as utterly spent. The, The moment on the pitch afterwards. And... What I loved about it was, I think him and, and, and Carragher were still very much making up their mind about Benitez at that point. And mm. I know, we, you and I know that they wanted fucking Kerbishly or some dope like that instead. Initially, the two of them, the fucking brains trust at Anfield. Like, let's be honest, the two lads, you, you wouldn't put them minding geese at a crossroads, you know, honestly. <laughs> and, 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 and of course, the two boys had a say. Michael Owen was in the meeting as well, apparently. And you just, you, I think they were still making up their mind very much. And there's a brilliant interview. Like, there's a moment on the pitch afterwards with Rafa and Stevie being interviewed together. And Stevie's in full scouser mode. He's like, honest to God. He goes, honest to God, this man here, this man here. He's not got nothing to say about this man here or what he's done particularly. But he just, he's, he's giving it to Rafa. He's giving it to mm. him. He's, he's saying, look, you know, ooh, this guy's a fucking winner. And now I'm, I, here I am sharing a stage of uh, the finest moment of my life life beside this winner so you know i think there's it's a definite tacit acknowledgement that it wouldn't have happened without him and yet at the same time it's kind of intangible because there's an injury that causes the changes uh yeah. you know you can't put it down to a rafa master class because oh, we've got flown off the pitch it's pure fluke in many ways now because he goes he's, on he's... he goes on to show how wonderful he can be as a european manager like we are the best team in europe off the back of that for a few yeah. years you know yeah, we are pure fluke. like he gets it wrong he gets his team selection completely wrong. He picks Cule, he doesn't pick Didi Hammond. And then the sub he makes at half time, Didi's coming on, but it's meant to be Jimmy Traore going off. But Steve Finning gets hurt. So now he has he has to go to a back three. And mm. Vladi Schmitzer, who has never done a hands turn defensively in his life to that point, is all of a sudden a right wing back in a European Like when you think about it. <laughs> we played a back five in the second half with Vladdy Schmitzer and Jimmy Traore. Now Vladdy was a good player. I don't want to. I don't want to disparage him, but he he's was a great, the wing he was back. A great player, and he was a decent out ball and all the rest. But yeah, right wing back wing when back. you're three 0 down. Come and on, like, Jimmy Traore. God bless him. Like I, I, I have very, very fond memories of Jimmy. I've met him a couple of times. He is an absolute diamond, but he wasn't a particularly good player. And he certainly wasn't good enough to play for us. But, like, that second half, he he absolutely stood up and was counted. Like, Carragher gets all the credit for a lot of the blocks. and But what, what did Hernan Crespo do in the second half? Nothing. Wasn't in the game. Because Jimmy Traore just went over to him and said, right, I'm not actually a good footballer. But what I can do is I can be really awkward and get in your way. And it was like he just enveloped him for the second half. Jimmy was, was absolutely brilliant second half. And Gerard obviously gets gets a lot of the credit. Carragher was out on his feet, making blocks, last-ditch tackles, sliding in here, then everywhere. It's Carragher's finest hour as well. The two boys just, they found something extra. Like, And that's kind of the thing about having lads where the club means a bit more to them. You know, like yeah. the likes of Trent and Curtis. Yeah. The club will always mean a little bit more to them than it will to anyone else. And it was like that for those two that night. But to get through that, to win that game, we had no business. And and the one thing, now, it was kind of bittersweet because 
I know he's not everybody's favourite, and and he's he's an absolute he's become an absolute dickhead. But I adored Michael Owen, Trev. I adored yeah. him as a footballer, and I still maintain that Michael Owen from seventeen to twenty two was is one of the best forwards I've ever seen. Like Michael Owen when he broke through and his first few years with us was like was like Mbappe now. He was that level. He won European Footballer of the Year when Zidane was in his prime and Figo was in his prime. And there was just world-class lads everywhere. Shevchenko was in it. There was world-class lads everywhere. And Michael Owen was European Footballer of the Year. And people like to disparage him because he was never really ours. He was always England's Michael Owen. And, you know, he, he there was always this kind of distance he put between himself and everybody else. But him leaving in the in the way he did at the start of the season just devastated me. Absolutely devastated me. And all through the season, I'd say I annoyed everybody that stood next to me by going, Michael Owen would have scored that. Every time CC or Barrett, <laughs> Owen would have scored that. And, I, and I, 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 ended, I ended up loving CC, I'll be honest. Yeah. But, but, but you're so right about Owen. And, and you know, People need to get their heads around that. The guy was, he was Kylian Mbappe. That's what he was on the world stage. He had that stupid level of fame and it was completely well earned because he was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. What happens with him is he, by 25, 26, he's done, you he's know, and, and, and there was a long tail off and he got, I think, probably a lot of bad advice and maybe has a couple of bad impulses himself. The dalliance with United, uh, the time at Newcastle, the fucking helicopters to train and all that shit. And then, of course, his um, PR, uh, where he's putting himself forward, um, left. Uh, uh, he, you know. he was always a bit of a dose. He like, obviously must have been. Cause he, you know remember that, that TV show he did? Yes, yes with the kids. With yeah. the kid in goal. He's like, yes, 1-0 on. <laughs> Congratulations, he's 15. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, what oh. is he? What is he even thinking like? But yeah, like Fowler, Fowler, you you could relate to a lot more. Robbie was more. Robbie was more. I don't think I, Robbie was incredible. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think Robbie, even at the very best of Robbie, I don't think he reached the level that Owen reached as a player, as a goal scorer. They were neck and neck. But did you not love him more? I mean, Robbie's my I, favorite, I love my Robbie more player. as a person. Yeah, yeah. But but Robbie, you could relate. See that was the thing, Robbie. You loved him as a per, as a player and as a person, because Robbie was yeah. was just a, a a fella, a lad who played football. Michael Owen was was a brand from the age of eighteen. So you, you yeah. loved him as a player, but yeah, you couldn't it. relate to him as a person. Do you know? And you all, I always thought like, because Michael Owen, Michael's similar enough age to me. He might be, I think he's is he a year older than me, maybe. And I used to think, look at him and think like. You're the same age as me. You're just a complete cock. Like Robbie Fowler, I could imagine going on a weekend out with and been away for a fortnight. Michael, you'd bring him on yeah. a night out and you'd bring him home after twenty minutes. When when you when everybody orders, you the know, first the, round, it, he's it, having a Lucasade. Do you know? It's funny you say that. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly it. It's funny you say that because one of the things I've been sort of aware of, just you know, you're coming up, uh, is that uh, the. Manchester City uh, uh, super fan Liam Gallagher is exactly is, is around about my age. He's a little bit older than me, and so you'd be often like you know in the early days I'm going 
oh, for fuck's sake, I've got as much talent as this fucker, and look, look where he is, and it kind of grudgingly admired Oasis back in the day. Obviously, that fell off a cliff, and then most of the time since, I've been just going, it's Nobhead. And again, it's something because he's a peer of yours. I don't know what it is, but you sort of end up thinking, I'm looking at him now going, if you're in your late forties, give it a rest. Seriously, yeah. like you know, yeah. it, it's it's it, you 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 do imprint on people who are your own age a little bit more and, and sort of have these different expectations of them. I love that you're looking at home going, that yeah, my age, exactly, exactly. knob, stop acting yeah, knob. He's two years older than me. He's he's two, two and a bit years older than me. Liam Gallagher's an interesting one. Him and Carragher obviously had a back and forth recently. I'd love Carragher to have just said to him, listen, right, first things first. You're the Phil of Gary and Phil in your brotherhood. <laughs> You're not famous without Noel. Noel is the reason Oasis were great, because he wrote the music, and he's much more talented than you. It's, it's why, like, Noel's a bellend as well, but Noel's, oh, he's, yeah. Noel's current band are much better than BDI were. Like, BDI is basically what Oasis would have been without Liam, or without Noel. And no one would have ever bought a second album from them. So Liam's just, Liam's far too caught up in being Liam Gallagher, the rock star, and not just Liam Gallagher, the fella. Whereas, but but just, 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 just in an interesting aside, Michael Owen keeps getting gigs and is taunted yeah. and, and vaunted. Liam Gallagher apparently is going to play to 180,000 people in Nebworth over two yeah. nights. I don't understand yeah. that. I don't understand Because that. he'll play a couple of Oasis tunes. That's what's, that's why, isn't it? You know, it's on, it's still on, he's still on, on, just, on Gary's, Gary's coattails there, Phil is. It's, it's still the same, it's the same reason, like, like, no one, no one wants to see the Rolling Stones anymore. But if they play a gig, it's a packed house because they're playing the old tunes. Or if Roger Waters does a gig, he might play a few Pink Floyd songs. So you'll go and you'll watch it for that. No one wants to see Liam Gallagher just play Liam Gallagher songs because most <laughs> no one knows most of them. Um, I, but yeah, I, I the, the, the United thing and obviously his punditry, Michael Owen's punditry, is what the younger generation know him for, and he's fucking terrible at it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's, also, it's the lack of self awareness. Like, do you remember? I don't know if you remember this. Remember there was this tsunami. In in Japan, when the the there was the tsunami and then the nuclear reactor thing, and that's what got couple, Frank McClintock fired. Yes, but a couple of weeks after that, there was a Japanese horse won a big race, and Michael oh, no. tweeted out, "Delighted for Japan, that should help lift the mood." Like, <laughs> <laughs> really, like, really, is that is that where you're going with this? Or like when when Emma Emma uh, Raducanu, the tennis player, won the was it the U.S. Open she won, oh, and so he had to refer it to himself. Like I remember, oh no, it was when she won Sports Personality or whatever she won. She won some award, and he, he starts putting up pictures of himself with the awards he won in his career. And you're like, Michael, we know what you won. Like we're all aware of who you are. We can go on your Wikipedia, and it's very impressive reading. You don't need to... You can just congratulate her. You can just say, congrats, that's amazing. You're going to have a great career. You don't need to say, you have a, you're have, you having a good career. But let me tell you what I did. I had a great career. No one cares, Michael. 
Also, if you care to refer to uh, the brochure that I put out about myself, there's a list of adjectives there. Everything from dynamic to my favorite, clean. <laughs> oh, I, do, so, I remember as well when he when he left United and he signed for Stoke. It was the day before deadline day, and there was some rumors going round that he might actually be coming back to Liverpool because mm. we were a bit desperate for a striker. Mm. And he tweeted out, "Really excited for tomorrow. Deadline day's always fun." And I might be a part of it. And then he wasn't. He Stoke signed him the next day after the deadline. <laughs> and he's like, oh, could the poor fella have fallen any further? Like, we held him on such a pedestal because he was incredible. And now he's signing for Stoke after the deadline because United just released him outright. It was just, it was hard. But the we've lad- gone too far on Michael Owen. The lad, um, got, the lad got, got a nine iron and whacked that pedestal until it was yeah. rubble, to be fair to him. And you're right, we have gone too far. We are literally 10 minutes from finish time here. We got halfway, we got through one of the four finals uh, and we did a big diatribe on Liam Gallagher and, uh, and <laughs> Michael Owen. And that is just about the most perfect thing for a pod with me and you I can actually think of. If you were to prioritize things here, there are a couple of contemporary things I want to talk about around this game. But if you want to, is there, is there any other takeaway that you have? Like, cause it was your, it was your kind of concept to look back on the finals. We should have fucking known, man. Is we should have known there, we'd need three hours to do. Yeah. Is there, is there, is there one thing that sticks out, uh, about the other three that you want to maybe, uh, you know, maybe a, one of the more, more recent two. I mean, mm. is there something, the fact that, you know, maybe in the Real one, if you compare then and now, is there any big takeaway that you've got there? Yeah, I think if you look at their team man for man, they're worse now than they were then and were significantly better across the board. I would yeah. say we're actually better in pretty much every position. Even the lads who played then, I think are better now. Now, Sadio is not as good as he was then. But as a centre forward, I think Sadio now might be better than Bobby was then. Certainly more of a goal threat. Yeah. Uh, I think Mo is a better all-round player now than he was then. Diaz is as good as Sadio was then. Henderson's not as good as he was, but I still think he's a better eight now than Milner was then. Fab's better than Henderson. Thiago's better than Ginny. Robbo's better than he was. Virgil's better than he was. Trent is much better than he was. Ali, obviously, huge upgrade on Karius. And then either Matip or Ibu, massive upgrade on Lovren. So I think we're better everywhere. Whereas I look at their team, the keeper's better. Alaba, I would prefer to have over Ramos. But Alaba is a left-back playing at a position. All the rest of the defenders are worse, including Carvial, who's fallen off a cliff because he's just finished. The three midfielders are the same three, but they're all worse now than they were then. Benzema is better than he was. Vinicius is great, but he's not anywhere close to what Cristiano was. And then the other spot, Valverde's probably better than Isco. But that's the only player I'd say from this team who's joined him and him and Courtois. They're the two good additions they've made. Everything else, I think, has kind of declined a bit. Bar Benzema discovering it. 34 years of age that he's the best player in the world, which is something I wasn't prepared for a couple of years ago. So I do think we're much stronger. I do think they're significantly worse. I think the roles are reversed where we come in as the favourite. They're the underdog. 
Now, that might favour them, but at the same time, I I saw them get demolished by City and demolished by Chelsea mm. and claw their way back in. When we demolish teams, they don't tend to claw their way back in. We're a lot better than both of those teams at getting where we want to be and just cutting a game off. And what strikes me as very important here is if it is a tight game, we've got better subs to bring on basically everywhere. Like they've got Camavinga as a great player to bring on, but we'll have either Naby or Thiago to bring on. So we match them there. We've got much better defenders to bring on than they do. And Rodrigo's a good player to bring off the bench, but we've got Bobby and Jota and Taki if need be. So I just think we're stronger than them everywhere. I yeah. really do think we're stronger than them everywhere. You've given me a lovely segue into some of these shorter topics then to see the show out uh, in terms of uh, you assessed it there as as in it's one of Ibu and Joel. It's going to be playing on a lot of people's minds uh, as to who gets that. I don't think in a way that is necessarily going to be filling anyone with, with angst because we've seen nothing but excellence from the two of them. I think maybe a ropey spell for Ibu in the last game had people sort of, you know, throwing toys out of the pram. But, you know, generally speaking, you'd have to say they've both been excellent when needed. And, and especially you know, next to Virgil. And especially next to Virgil. So if if you had to call it for this game in particular, thinking about the personnel that the opposition will be employing, um, I find myself, I have to say, and I I, I don't know why it is, but I find myself thinking that Joel might just have that added calm mm. um, and experience. And for that reason, I'm kind of find myself half hoping that, 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 that the manager will pick him. But at the same time, it's not a drop off. It's just a different fella you're getting who has different strengths. Yeah. Um, they're both very much on a par, I think, in terms of excellence. So it won't kill me one way or the other, but I have a, I have an inkling towards Joel myself, and I think the manager might. If I asked you to call it, what way would you go? I initially thought Ibu because I thought his pace would help Trent with um, Vinicius. Yeah. But the more I've thought about it, I do think Joel's calm nature against Benzema and his, his sort of reactionary defensive style where he doesn't make decisions for the attacker, he makes them make the decisions. Benzema yeah. is brilliant in his movement, and he's also great in like little fake movements where he makes a, like a short run one direction, knowing he's going the other, and he gets that defender to bite on that run. And he did it to Diaz a couple of times, where he took two steps one way, and Diaz was just galloping off in that direction, and Benzema just walked back the other way, and all of a sudden he had four yards of space. Joel is better at reacting to attackers' movements. He won't think, oh, he's going that way. I'm going to get there first and just gallop off like a lunatic. Yeah. Joel will stay. I think Joel's calm head reading of the game, and he's just so unflappable. Like, nothing seems to bother. I don't think, like, Joel might not even know it's a Champions League final. They might not tell him. <laughs> they might just tell him it's a charity game. And yes, you do have to get on a plane, Joel, but don't worry, it's still Anfield, so don't worry. We're just flying around. Uh, the, 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 the aeroplane company, they, they're sponsoring the game. Don't worry about it, Joel. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, he just, he's just, it, nothing phases him. He just doesn't care. He's just, he's Joel, and there he is, and he's just going to do his Joel things. The other thing Joel brings that I, I think could be important is that ball carrying. Because yeah. you know that Benzema's not going to want to chase him. And their midfield is quite slow. 
Like Cruz and Modric were never quick to begin with. Now both very much fall into the slow category. And if Joel is running through their midfield, I think yeah. it could cause chaos that they won't be used to. So I am definitely leaning towards Joel. But the truth of it is, as you said, there's no wrong decision here. They're both brilliant. Yeah. And we that's absolutely it. Yeah. Perform. The issue that's going to be on a lot of people's minds is, and I've seen this again and again today, is that, you know, sort of uh, celebratory tweets talking about how Thiago is on the plane. Uh, and Fab is on the plane and um, so on and so forth. And, of course, uh, the club are leading into it. Kloppo's been very optimistic with his comments around Thiago, and that's to be celebrated and, and enjoyed because, um, obviously, to have him ruled out would have been the, the, the absolute pits. Now, I find myself in a sort of oddly cautious um, frame of thinking around this because, you know, Mind games work both ways. You can talk about, um, you can talk about how it's important, uh, to, to not give the opposition manager any knowledge of what's going on. Or you could maybe kid them on a bit about what is going to go on. And so I find myself not 100% leaning into the total optimism. I'm delighted about what Jurgen said. And I don't think he's any real reason to bullshit, to be honest, mm. Dave, because I don't see an upside to saying that Tiago is doing much better than expected. But I am very much braced for a reality in which he doesn't start the game. I'm I'm thinking there's no way Fab doesn't start because that's all we've been worried about for the last three weeks is getting him match ready. Uh, I, I, I my only concern around Fab is that he's not always wonderful, having been out for a little spell. Yeah, uh, he is a rhythm. He's a rhythm player. So they're the two things that are on my mind: the on the plane versus in the team concept, and then the idea of. If it is only Fab and Fab's back in, we're, it's a big ask for him to be as brilliant as we know he can be immediately, just based on previous patterns that we've seen from him. Yeah, but uh, the one thing I would say to counter that a little bit is that he was looking really tired for about a month before he got the little the little injury. So That's maybe fair. the maybe the break does him the world of good. Now you're right; he he is a rhythm player, and he he has been dodgy coming back from gaps out but I think he's a definite to start look I think if everybody was 100% fit I actually think he'd be starting Naby Fabinho and Thiago I don't think he'd start Henderson I think he'd keep him off the bench to bring him on at 65 to either see a game out or to give you that injection of energy but yeah not every we're not all fully fit so I think Fab definitely starts. I think Henderson starts. And I think Naby's the third starter. And I think something that will play into his mind is, look, Thiago might be fit enough to start, but he's likely not fit enough to finish. So if you start him, you know that's one sub that you're already going to have to use. And when is that sub going to be needed? Could Could it be that he's 15 minutes in and he pulls up and he needs to come off? In which case... Now you're bringing on Naby. Now you're asking Henderson to play 90, which he doesn't always do. You're asking Fab to play 90. You're giving Naby 75. And that's all well and good if the game ends in 90. But what if it goes to extra time? Mm. So I think he starts Henderson, Fabinho and Naby with the idea of bringing Thiago on at about 60 for one of the two number eights. Or for Fab with Henderson dropping into the number eight. Because our other midfield options, I mean, you, you don't really want Milner on for any more than 
10 minutes and maybe a penalty shootout. Curtis could be an option to bring on. He's big, he's rangy, he's a good athlete, he's strong, he presses well, he holds the ball well. If you're winning the game, I'm more than happy for Curtis to come on and just keep the ball because he keeps the ball brilliantly. Um, but I do think it makes more sense to start Naby and bring Thiago off the bench. Um, now, of course, of course, that's all. Uh, ver- I, 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 everything you're saying, I'm nodding my head along with here. But obviously, both of us would be thrilled to bits if the recovery has been complete enough that that Thiago can start and play a game. You know, even if it's a little bit of a risk, you you would love to see that too, no doubt. Oh, without question. Yeah. Without question. I mean, look, the thing is, <clears throat> Mo came off in the FA Cup final and Virgil came off in the FA Cup final. And basically everything that was said about them was if we didn't have a Champions League final coming up, they'd have been left on. They they weren't yeah. actually injured. They were just hurt. They had niggles. Yeah. They were taken off as precautions and they were just given rests then because why wouldn't you rest them? Why wouldn't? We didn't need them against Southampton. Southampton aren't very good. We went and won the game anyway. And we kept Mo off the, uh, as an option off the bench for Wolves. And Virgil just sat on the bench with his feet up for the game. Why, yeah. why overuse them if you don't need to? Um, I do think as well with Fab, if the FA Cup final was the only final we had, I get the feeling Fab might have played. I think we've been yeah. really careful and cautious with all of them. And the same thing with Thiago, because when he had the... He obviously had the little niggle or whatever it was with his Achilles. He came off, he walked off, no treatment, and went and stood next to the to Klopp and the physio. And he was talking to them. And he turned around and walked back to the touchline as if he was going to come back on. He did, yeah. His hands on his knees. He looked like he was just getting his breath and he about to get back. Yeah. 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 And then they just went, no, no, go, go, go back. And he just walked back to the dressing room. Yeah. So, I, again, I kind of feel like if we didn't have this game, he probably would have played on. Yeah. So yeah. we may have slightly overblown the injuries to make it seem like Liverpool are coming in as the walking wounded and yeah. maybe give ourselves a little bit of an advantage there. But I, I kind of feel like we've just been overly cautious with players, and rightly so, because we were trying to accomplish something that no one had ever managed before. And everyone needs to remember we did come within, what, nine minutes of winning the treble if that third city goal doesn't go in. Um, so, look, I, I think this game has been the priority for a while because once we drew with the Etihad, the league was in City's hands. And I think Klopp's kind of decision at that point was right. If we can win the league, we'll win the league. Great. But our focus is the Champions League and the FA Cup. Let's win them. Let's make sure we control what we control. And I think that's why some of these decisions have been made with these players to, to be really cautious with them. And these boys have done absolutely everything they could to win that league. Let's just be honest about that as well. So, you know, they, they are absolutely doing everything, ticking every box. The fact that uh, a thing that was out of our hands ended up being taken out of our hands, you can't get too bent out of shape about that. I was lost in the sadness of it for a day or so, but you just have to, these guys are winners and they're gonna, they've got an opportunity to win the biggest trophy in the world. And maybe as a kind of a palate cleanser to get away from the enormity of this, because it's fucking massive, if we're being honest. Um, we could just have a look at two little stories that we can talk about quite flippantly because they don't really matter, uh, right now. And they're quite interesting in terms of, 
transfer scuttle button. I'm just, you know, like I said, I'm just keeping it nine o'clock. We said we'd be out on time, so let's just do exactly that. And the two, I just want to get two quick takes from you on these. We'll go whatever kind of distance we want to go on them. One story is about an outgoing uh, situation, and it won't stop. It doesn't matter where you go uh, for refuge um, in the newspapers, uh, websites, um, Twitter, uh, uh, football accounts. Uh, the Sadio Mane away story will not stop. The constant links to Bayern, the constant reference to Sadi Hamidzic and uh, specifics, uh, specifics about people he may or may not have spoken to. And I think the double down then is, of course, that when he was offered the opportunity to talk about whether or not he would be at the club next season, he said he would speak about it after the Champions League final. And people have interpreted that the way people will always do so. So I'm looking to get your take on that first and what you think the knock-on effect might be. And then if you want to, because I don't know how seriously you're taking this, but another uh, crazy town rumour that started over the last 24 hours is, uh, and I know um, our, our, our pal Lisa Marie is very, very distressed about this because she's not really fond of this, that is the potential of Harry freaking Kane. Uh, being uh, potentially on the on the, uh, I can only assume that this is one of these reactionary things. Well, if if Mane goes, blah blah blah. So let's start with the one that has a bit more substance to it. Uh, do you believe it has substance to it? First of all, yeah, I I do believe there's real substance in the possibility of Sadio going. Um, I, I do believe Bayern have interest. They're looking like they may sell Lewandowski to Barcelona. So it makes sense that they'd want to replace him. And with Sadio playing as a nine uh, of late and doing really well, he could make sense for them. Uh, I don't believe for a second that we would sell him for around 30 million euro. Uh, yeah. That I think he will cost significantly more. Why that, because... spe- why that specific detail there? Because there's a reason for everything. You know, There's a reason so for all these stories. 30 million euro is basically what we paid them for Thiago who yeah. was the same age, same contract length. But the, the differences are, number one, Thiago's been injury-prone for quite a few years. <clears throat> and he's also a midfielder. He's not a goal scorer. He doesn't get, you know, 20 assists a season. He's just, he's a controlling midfielder. And as great as he is, players like him, they don't tend to have massive transfer value for whatever reason. That that type of player just doesn't get bought for ridiculous fees. I mean, Tony Cruz, another one of the greats, I think he went to Bayern, or from Bayern to Real for like 25 million as a younger player, like he was 22, 23 or whatever age he was, might have been a bit older than that, but that's kind of, you know, when Thiago went to, to Bayern again, it was 25, 30 million. They just don't seem to go for huge money. Sadio is a 20-goal-a-season attacker in the Premier League, which means he's probably a 35-goal-a-season attacker in the Bundesliga. Yeah. He can play all across the front line, and he's never injured. Like, Sadio's never hurt. So, I think Sadio's going to command a fee in the £50 range, and that's £50 million, not Euro. And I think Bayern will pay it, because I think they'll get close enough to that for Lewandowski from... from, um, Barca. And remember, Lewandowski is three years older than Sadio. And while he's a better nine, he's not a better all-round player. Like, Sadio is is just as good an all-round player as Lewandowski. So, I think we'll get a good fee for him. I also think, like, PSG could have interest if they can find somewhere to send Neymar. 
it wouldn't surprise me if Real have interest. They've had a lot of interest in the past. So I do think there's a strong possibility he could go. I think if there's one of the front three that were more willing to let go, I think it's probably him. I think think Salah's the one we desperately want to keep. I think Bobby's probably the easiest to keep and has the least value on the market. So it makes the let... You'd nearly be better off just running Bobby into the ground next season and let him, letting him leave on a free than trying to sell yeah. him this summer. Um, so I do think there's some substance to Sadio. I don't for one second believe there's any substance to Harry Kane. He is 29 years of age this summer. He has a history of ankle injuries. He basically went on strike last summer to try and force a move, which suggests he's a bit of a dickhead. Uh, his on-field behaviour suggests he's a bit of a dickhead. He's going to want mega money. He's going to cost a hundred million as well. So you factor in age, injury, price tag, wages. I just don't see any chance that we would go anywhere near him. And I don't know where this rumour originated. I'm looking at an article in the Express which is basically a toilet. Uh, But that article is from today. So according to somebody on another Liverpool podcast, that's the sort, that's how bad the Express is. They've written an article citing a Liverpool-related podcast. (laughs) So I don't, and, and with respect, the fellow who said it is the type who says these type of things just to get it out there for the, for a bit of a laugh. Yeah. Um, I don't for one second believe there's any truth to us holding talks with Kane or considering Harry Kane. He's a great player, but I don't think he passes the dickhead test. He certainly doesn't pass the the price tag test. Like, if we're going to spend massive money on a striker, I'd imagine it would be like a Darwin Nunes or an Asimian type, someone that we could get eight great years out of. Not someone... He's not even the most. He's not even the most likely Spurs player to sign for Liverpool. Like I mean, no. if Klopp, if Klopp was going to get anyone, it'd be Son. You know, Son, I mean, this is the, this is the thing. And and Son, I know, like he's the same age as Kane, so he's the wrong age profile already. Uh he would cost stupid money. Like like you said, Kane would obviously cost stupid money. But I think you know can't blow past that point that you made a couple of times, and it was the first thing you went to. It is. You're right. He, Kane does not pass the dickhead test, and that is all that fucking matters. Because there's no proper knobheads at our club. You've got lads with various sizes, egos, and I'm sure fellas fall out while wrestle. But it's a it's a massive, massive part of the recruitment thing. Is if Klopp thinks he's a sound enough fella, and if he's going to do what he's told, and if he's not, he's not in. And how can anyone think the lad who's been absolutely lording it over a Premier League club, like Lord Horseshite, as they say around here, for several years, like an absolute king in his castle, is going to mm. somehow develop the humility to to adapt to a Jurgen Klopp system? Come on, I mean, it's a man, it's a mental idea. Not one of our players would go on a golf course and walk around with cameras talking to Gary Neville about why he might want to leave his current club. Not one of them. No. None of of our players would go on holiday and refuse to return 
because we didn't get the move we wanted, which he did. He was a week late back from training. And he tried to say it was a communications error, but that was bullshit. Because Spurs had already come out and said, we thought he was going to be here. He's not here. We don't know what's going on. Um, none of our players would basically phone it in for five months the way he did from August through to December. Like People, it's the weirdest thing. I've seen people pick team of the year this year and put Harry Kane in their team of the year. The guy was garbage for the first half of the season. Like, absolute garbage. And most of his performances were, when he did play, were really, really poor. And he didn't look like he was actually trying all that much. Like, I know he scored, like, people say, oh, he scored such and such an amount of goals. Look at the actual goals that he scored. Like, look at the goals that he scored pre-Christmas. So, he scored against... MS Neura, he scored a hat-trick against them, and then he scored one against them in the return leg. So he got four goals in the Europa Conference League, which you know we don't do. Uh, so that was what he did there. He scored, I think, in the League Cup against the Spur against the Wolves reserves. So there's five goals. And in the league, he got one against Newcastle, who, as you remember, were garbage at the time. Uh, he scored against us in a game he should have been sent off in. He scored against Palace. And then he scored against Southampton. So he got nine goals before the turn of the year. Southampton are poor. Newcastle are poor. It was the reserve team from Wolves and NS Mura. So he scored two, two goals that you'd look at and say, fair play. Liverpool are great. Palace are decent. That's it. That's all he did before Christmas. And then he scored against Leicester, and then he did nothing for three games, and they lost all three. And then he scored two against City, and he was awful against Burnley. And then he picked it up, and he really only picked it up at the end of February. So he was good the last game of February against Leeds, who were shit. And then he was really good through March, April, and May. Like, congratulations, mm. you played three months of the season. See, this is the thing, when he is really Clock good... like mind with that. He, of course he would. But when he is really good and he's coming deep and linking the play and uh, popping off passes, which, you know, is an underrated part of his game that he does when he's playing well, you can see how he would fit into almost any team, right? Okay, absolutely. But that attitudinal thing, you can't. It's a bad smell that just won't go away. So yeah, I, I think it's a non-starter as well. Yeah. I have to agree with he's you. He's a great player. And him and Salah would be magic because we've seen what him and Son can do. Him yeah. and Salah would do similar. Him and Diaz would... He'd be he'd be great. Off the ball, he wouldn't really fit. He's not a great presser, and he's got a big old arse that he's got to carry around. So he's not great in that regard off the ball. But he would fit in. He he's a great player. And would he make us better? Absolutely. But he's he is a dickhead. And it's it's a hundred million for a fella who I mean, just he's got a history of injuries, a history of being an arsehole. He's got some history with some of our players as well. Like, yeah. I don't imagine Andy Robertson has forgotten that tackle he left on him last season. No chance. Do you know? So, I, I, I just, I, I think it's a non-starter. As good and all as he is, and he is fantastic, there's no doubt. You're right. If we were signing someone from Spurs, it would be Son. Because yeah. Son's game, first of all, Son's game looks like it will age a lot better than Kane's because of how well he looks after himself. Son's personality would fit in like a glove. He's very, very humble. He's also a megastar in his home country. 
he's very similar to Mo in so many ways. So I, I could see him fitting in like a dream, but no, not Kane, not Kane, not not Kane, not, no chance. So hopefully. Lisa Marie's breathing a little bit easier now. And what we can do is we just have to finish off the show by saying, look, this is a absolutely phenomenal uh, opportunity for this team of ours to go and do something um, remarkable. And yeah. we're all very excited. But we have quite a lot of our mutual chums um, who are on the way over or currently over there and about to enjoy it. And I'm sure you'll uh, agree with me, man, that like we might be on the home front. We'll be still sitting there with our laptops watching the match like we always do, like I have been doing now for four and a half years, and that needs to change next season. Uh, hopefully, circumstances will allow it. And I'm quite happy to do that shift, but man, I do envy all the guys out there uh, heading off to enjoy the game and the, each other's company and hopefully a fantastic occasion. Uh, and just, I'm sure you'd echo my sentiments and hoping that they actually have a ball because it is oh, great yeah. to see. It is great to see them out there. It is. It's incredible, and it's it's great that there's so many uh, AI contributors are gone to the game. Uh, Gags is there. Brundish is there. Harinder is there. Cam is there, and there's, there's a couple of others as well. So, um, it's it's great for them. It is absolutely great, and I really do hope we can win it for them out there to enjoy it. But I'll be honest. Trev, I don't actually envy them being there because I did go to the I went to the final in in Dortmund in when we won the the UEFA Cup uh, yeah. and I loved it. But I was in I was in Athens in 07 and it was one of the worst nights I've ever experienced. Um, yeah, of course. I also and I lo- I lost my phone after the game as well and ended up wandering around aimlessly trying to f- figure out where my <laughs> hotel was. For about two and a half hours, which, which isn't great in a city that's notoriously a little bit sketchy after dark. Um, yeah. Luckily enough, I don't really run into too many people that are scarier looking than me, so I'm generally all right. But it was a bit of a, you know, you're already in a bad mood, and I'm thinking I'm in a shit mood. If anyone starts anything, I'm going to end up getting arrested here because I'm just it's such a bad mood. And yeah. I got, you know, you know, you know how truculent I could be. I got thicker and thicker and thicker as I walked around tramping around looking for my hotel um, <laughs> without, without the name of it to even refer to because I had it on my phone. So, yeah, it, it, all in all, a, a shit fest for me that night. But uh, So I, I did swear off going to uh, any kind of European final ever again because it's, it's I, I, I'm my own worst enemy because I like to go to – I like to go to the game by myself yeah, yeah, and yeah. sort of get lost in my own thoughts. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Drinking in around me. I don't like going with, with friends because I can. I, as you know, I can be a little bit argumentative at times. <laughs> and if things don't go well, it's not. It's definitely not my fault. It's definitely someone else's. Fault. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, I do tend to go to things by myself. Like uh, gigs and whatever else is different, obviously. But for games, I like to go by myself and just sort of. Lose myself in the game a little bit. Um, and I'm also at that real old man stage where I sort of, if I go to a game now, I want to go and sit in the back and just watch the game and not deal with anything else, like not have anyone else's nonsense kind of interfering with what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm a bit of a pain though. Like we went to, when we were in France there recently, we went to see Leon play. 
and it was their their last home game of the season. And um, we looked for tickets the week before we went, and they're playing nonce at home, so it's not a massive game. There's nothing really on the line. And there's, you know, there's seats everywhere, but there's seats way up in the back. And I'm like, that's where I'm sitting. (laughs) Because as I looked at it, there were five rows empty in this one area. And I'm like, I'm sitting right in the back. So me and my my poor suffering missus, I made her tramp all the way to the back of the stadium, (laughs) sit rows from everybody else. And then I didn't talk to her for 90 minutes. Didn't talk to her at all. I just sort of sat and stared at the game and zoned out. And she enjoyed it because she hadn't been to a game before. So she enjoyed watching the crowd, and it was a mental game where nothing really happened for the first 75 minutes. Um, Leon went one up, and then it was a bit of a dead event. And then Leon scored on 78, Nantes equalized, Leon scored again, and then Nantes got a late one and looked like they might make a bit of a comeback. So it was a mad last 15 minutes or so, but she enjoyed it. And I just sat there like some sort of psychopath, just staring at the game <laughs> and, and completely oblivious to everything else that was going on. At one point, she actually moved from the seat next to me to the seat beside that because I was talking to myself. What I, I was, what I was doing was I was talking to the players. To pass the ball, but not shouting. I was just kind of mumbling it to myself. Like, I, 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 yeah, no, I, I, I'm better off watching the game at home. I'm better no, off watching the game at home. It's the, that's, that's the most on-brand Hendrick anecdote I've ever heard. It's well, fantastic. So the other thing as well, Trev, is if I went to the game and we won, there'd be a lot yeah. of happiness around, and it doesn't really fit with what I'm that's, about. So, you that's know. Not, that's not going to sit well with you. No, no, I want misery. That's <laughs> what I want. I want misery. No, I think I think we can safely say that what you want is you want absolute victory and our team to dominate and absolutely oh, yeah. it's oh, the opposition. Yeah. But for you to be able to sit at home grumbling about something or other. I want it to be a really shit 2-0 win. That's what I really <laughs> want. A really Last, shit 2-0. Yeah, I, that's exactly well, here's my hope for the game. My hope for the game is that we win a dour, dour occasion quite mm-hmm. safely. And we're doing raw afterwards, and you get to be just giving out shit about how Jordan Henderson isn't really up to it anymore. Yes. Oh man, I would fucking give anything for that. Yes, that's what I want. Well, we already know that if we win, and he does that fucking shuffle thing, I I won't be happy. <laughs> like, the, the, the shuffle does my head. Lift the trophy, lad. Like Graham oh, Souness did didn't do a shuffle, and he lifted loads of stuff. So just lift the trophy. <laughs> yeah, I, I Jordan either. Or a fur for a coat and a picture either though. So no, he did. No, no. Jordan is a bit more of a sensible lad, to be fair. Um, no, look, that's that's the hope. Look, the hope is that Saturday night, when the mics go live for us, we're just after watching Jordan Henderson do a shuffle and lift big ears for the seventh time, and then we can celebrate on the pod. The lads are going to call in. I think the boys in France might call in as well on Discord. Uh, it's me, you, and match it as it should be for the final. Guy will be on with us. We'll have an audience listening. And then on Sunday, for those of us fortunate enough or unfortunate enough, depending on your point of view, to have a couple of Chelsea fans in our lives, we'll be able to send them texts and remind them that we have more European Cups than they have league titles. Because that's nice. 
It's a nice thing to do. What a way, what a way for a Sunday to pass. And I hope it's very much the case for us. As ever, myself and David taking around the houses, we, uh, as ever, failed completely miserably to get through our, our uh, itinerary for the show. Who cares? I enjoy the shit out of it. I always do. It's great chatting to Dave. Thanks to Guy for producing. I've been Trev Downey, and we will speak to you again on Raw for the Champions League final where the Reds can win yet another big ears. Let's hope we do, and let's hope we're talking to you happily about it afterwards. Take care. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.